0: Welcome to the Let's Talk EMDR podcast brought to you by the EMDR International Association or EMDRIA. I'm your host, Kim Howard. In this episode, we are talking with EMDR certified therapist and consultant, Gary Brothers, about EMDR therapy and chronic pain. Gary is located in Austin, Texas. Let's get started. Today we are speaking with EMDR certified therapist and consultant, Gary Brothers, about EMDR therapy and chronic pain. Thank you, Gary, for being here today. We are so happy that you said yes. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Kim. It's an honor and a pleasure.
0: So, Gary, tell us about your path to becoming an EMDR therapist.
1: Oh, gosh, Kim. It was quite a while ago when I was living in Hawaii and working for Kaiser Permanente. I think maybe 21, 22 years ago. It was back when the EMDR basic training, it was split into level one and level two. You know, I didn't know much about EMDR at the time. I was working for the Child and Adolescent Department at Kaiser and also I had a part-time practice working with all ages. I'd always sought out um, specialized uh, training for trauma and attachment disruption, You know, usually with a brain and nervous system focus. I was working quite a bit with children and teens with attachment trauma. I was specializing at the time um, with uh, Dan Hughes' model. It was dyadic developmental psychotherapy. And then we were pairing neurofeedback with psychotherapy kind of to prime the brain and nervous system for optimal results. And then this new training, EMDR, came to Hawaii. At least it was new for us. I think it was the first time EMDR was offered in Hawaii. My colleagues and I, we jumped at this chance for this new treatment model as we were always looking you know, for the cutting edges approaches to working with the kids and teens we were treating. But unfortunately, the trainer only came for level one. And if something happened. I think it was a death in her family, and the level two training was canceled and never rescheduled. Um, so my colleagues and I, we did the best we could. You know, we finished reading the training manual and tried to learn it the best we can, but it was certainly not the ideal situation, to say the least. Uh, and then in 2006, I moved to Austin, you know, where I am here. And not too long after that, I started working for a pain clinic, and I decided to get properly trained in EMDR. Uh, that's when I met uh, Rick Levinson, who's this phenomenal trainer here, not to mention he's become my mentor and a, and a great friend but that's when I truly learned EMDR, and it opened up this, you know, this whole new world for me and how I began treating my clients. And I couldn't get enough. I started going to all these different trainings on trauma and complex PTSD. But that, you know, and, and because I was working the pain clinics, you know, I went to Mark Grant's training to learn the pain protocol, and it just blew my mind. And then I went to Stephen Marcus's training for the migraine protocol, and these training, they made me more and more curious about what was really going on with my clients neurobiologically. Now, as I was saying, I was working with these pain management clinics. I was seeing, you know, so many clients really not getting much better with the medical interventions. They got a lot of relief. You know, overall, they were just kind of plateauing and sometimes even getting a lot worse over time. They started responding to what I was doing with the therapy, especially with the EMDR protocols. And it just made me more and more intrigued you know, so I started reading all these different articles, article after article, not just on EMDR, but on the physiology of pain. It just took me into so many different rabbit holes. I would find one nugget of information in one article, or book, and then I'd say, hey, who wrote that? And I'd find the source and then it would take me into another article or book and then into another nugget and so forth. And this information, you know, along with what I learned from the EMDR trainings and workshops I was going to, as well as all the other, you know, trainings and articles, you know, on the brain and nervous system, things started to come together, you know, slowly, but things started to align piece by piece. And so what I was learning was that chronic pain had so much more to do with the brain and the central nervous system and how these change over time in maladaptive ways. You know, than what was referred to, you know, as the pain generator or what, you know, kind of what the clients were seeking at the pain clinics is relief from their lower back, their neck, their knee, their stomach and so forth. What I was learning is that there's all sorts of feedback loops, you know, that occur and these other systemic changes in the body that need to be addressed if people are truly going to get better or healthy again. Also notice how many of the chronic pain patients had such terrible trauma histories and so many other coexisting mental health disorders in addition to trauma and PTSD. You know, they had such terrible depressions, you know, all sorts of anxiety disorders and so forth. And what I was reading supported what I was noticing in my practice. But my role in the pain management companies was to treat the mental health issues more as a ancillary or adjunctive service, and also we did all sorts of you know risk assessments and evaluations, like when people misuse or abuse their medications. You know, we were tasked to say, hey, are they addicted, or are they just you know overusing because their pain was out of control, and if they had a, a back surgery, or you know, we, we would assess them to see were they good candidates or for you know implant devices like pain pumps or spinal cord surgery. Uh, uh, stimulators. So I wasn't really directly treating the pain much at the time. That was left up to the doctors, uh, you know, and their medicines and interventions. But as a behavioral health department, we were just teaching some coping skills. Kim, I I realized there was so much more to it, meaning how clients' pain and their health issues were connected to their mental health issues. Of course, you know, I was familiar with the ACEs, but what I was learning and noticing connected so many more dots to me. I, I found if I could get the clients to trust me in their therapy process, which was a big task because they often said, Hey, why am I, why do I have to go to behavioral health? You know, the doctors would send them to us and they say, what am I here in therapy for? I'm I'm here for my pain. And I'd start to, you know, have to engage them. That was the first task, you know, to say, Hey, you know, there might be something beneficial for the the counseling here, the therapy, but if I could get them to first engage in therapy and then get them to be active in their lives again and get them functioning again, because so often they were, you know, they had lost all that. They were just sitting around, you know, watching TV all day. Um, they had lost their jobs. They had lost their hobbies. They lost all the activities. And, and if I could get them back moving again, doing, you know, some of the activities that they used to like and enjoy, and especially get them functioning and active in their relationships. So often they, you know, they, they weren't even involved in their, their their marriages or with their kids or their grandchildren. Also, if we could get them off those opiates, um, because what we know about the opiates is that they, you know, were never meant to be for long-term pain. Sure, short-term pain, acute pain, but all the research, and this is decades of research, so these, this, you know, is an appropriate treatment for, for long-term pain. But if we could get them off the opiates so they can start thinking and feeling again and stop being just these passive recipients of care, that yeah, they would get better, and then the other big piece was their trauma you know if we could address their trauma then they, they if they did all these things they usually got much much better and that's where the, the emdr came and that was such a huge piece of it an integral part of all of this you know, i left one pain management company and took this you know position with this other um they were they asked me to develop this new behavioral health program for them and I was really excited. I thought I could really do something cool there. Fortunately, I found the paradigm I was talking here that I'm describing wasn't really congruent uh, with where I was um, working. so you know I kind of found myself at a bit of a crossroads and, and that's where you know, I decided, hey, this might be a good time to go into private practice. And so that's what I did. Um, yeah. You know, so throughout all this so um I, you know th- that really wonderful trainer here in Austin, Rick Levinson, you know he was telling me. You know, Gary, you need to start training other therapists in what you're doing. But uh, you know, I I really didn't want to, to be honest with you. I was really resistant to that. I was like, no, 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 that's not what I do. I'm a therapist. I treat clients. But over time, he kind of wore me down, and I eventually gave in. You know, I took what I learned and it took quite a while and I I tried to organize it into a structured model of care. And then in 2017, I did launch my first two-day workshop. And that workshop, and I'm still doing it today, it looks at all the different ways the brain, the nervous system, and the entire body changes in maladaptive ways when there's pain that doesn't resolve. And through understanding this from kind of a a more neurobiological and psychophysiological perspective, you know, I help therapists to target you know, the, the different areas, you know, in order to kind of systematically shift the body back into, you know, its previous states of health. You know, over time, though, I realized there was a need to share more information as it relates to, to the, you know, not just chronic pain, but, you know, many chronic health conditions, especially the autoimmune disorders. At the root of these, so often, but not always, but in so many cases, there's, there's significant attachment disruption and trauma. So last year, I launched a second workshop that focuses on understanding, you know, how and why this occurs, you know, from a neurobiological lens again. And so I assist therapists to modify EMDR to address these underlying attachment wounds, you know, again, to get the body to shift back to states. It's a process, but the body kind of knows and wants this and craves this. But I would say at the end of the day, I go back, I'm just an EMDR therapist, and that's what I spend most of my time doing.
0: No, that's a good story. That's very good and very thorough. I appreciate all of the the work that you do. and, And you're not the first therapist on this podcast to talk about how they've, they sort of fell into EMDR therapy. They knew somebody or they heard about it or, you know, somebody came and did a training and they went to it. And so we, we like to hear those stories about how it's the word is sort of spread among professionals about, Hey, this new therapy is something you should consider. So that leads me to my next question, which is, what is your favorite part of working with EMDR therapy?
1: My favorite part about EMDR is that it's founded in what what I think is called a, a salutogenic model of care. And that's why I think it works so well, EMDR. A salutogenic model means to have this orientation, you know, towards health and healing and focusing on the factors that, you know, create and perpetuate this and that's what i believe the adaptive information processing model is all about and what dr shapiro was describing when she described how you know the information processing system is adaptive when it's activated and and that's at the core of emdr You know, so much of the healthcare system, you know, has that more pathogenic focus or a pathogenic model, and it focuses on unhealth or disease and breakdown. I think, therefore, it gets mired in chasing and treating symptoms and doesn't really get to the root causes. By doing so, it forgets that that the body, that we're innately wired and desired to heal and to be in states of health. But through EMDR and the AIP model, we assist the brain and the nervous system and the body to get back to these healthy states. You know, Sure, we're, we're addressing the barriers and the blocks to these. But again, the fundamental goal of the AIP model is activating that information processing system. And, and for me to be able to see this happening as it's happening, I think it's amazing. And at this point in my career, to have a little bit of understanding and knowledge about what is happening neurobiologically as it's happening, that's even more exciting for me.
0: Gary, can you please define chronic pain?
1: You know, the simple definition of chronic pain is pain that occurs past the point of tissue healing. Chronic pain is generally considered pain that persists, you know, despite the fact that the original injury has healed, whatever that might have been, or at least it's healed as much as it's going to. Yet the pain signals remain active in the nervous system. Many times we get hurt, we get injured, we, we sprain our ankle or we get a broken bone. You know, once it's healed, the pain goes away. But with chronic pain, the pain you know, re- remains active. You know, all pain is about nerves and is in, in our nervous system. But You know, so it's no longer a tissue issue. It's now an issue of the nervous system. And so chronic pain is now a syndrome state of the nervous system in this central nervous system. You know, this doesn't mean that the pain isn't real or even very serious. And it shouldn't ever be misconstrued or thought of that it's caused by psychological factors. You know, chronic pain is real and it has very real neurobiological causes. The causes are just different than you know those you know the normal pain that we think of that acute pain or short-term pain. And the causes aren't going to be the same for everybody. Chronic pain is is conflict, whether if it's caused from an accident or injury or it could be caused from a degenerative health condition, you know such as osteoarthritis or, you know, autoimmune disorder, there are different types and different causes, you know, different, you know, perpetuating factors, you know, and so forth. And and each person's going to be unique, a unique puzzle, I like to say, and and the puzzle pieces are going to be different for each person's unique situation. And so we're going to have to look at it, you know, from each person's, you know, perspective. But again, we need to look at it, you know, and understand it from the broader neurobiological perspective, what's going on with each person's, you know, physiology. Uh, And not just the physiology in this moment, we have to look at it through, you know, the lens of how the present intersects with the past. You know, I like to say, you know, how the nervous systems developed over the course of a lifetime. But Kim, I think it's even more than that. You know, we have to understand it from the, the each person's unique life situation, you know, not just from the past and the present, but also their relationships, you know, how these are related to their dynamic nervous system states, because all of this has to do with neurochemistry. That's going to activate inflammatory cytokines. You know, it's going to affect our endocrine system. So we have to put all of this and look at all of this together. And all of these factors are so often related to how chronic pain develops from that acute pain state, you know, as well as how these chronic pain states perpetuate and remain. It's through this understanding that by understanding all these pieces of the puzzle that we figure out how to assist each person's body get back to his way to, you know, to back to health, to
0: healing. Thank you. Gary, what successes have you seen using EMDR therapy for chronic pain?
1: I've seen a lot. But successes, I think, vary among individuals. You know, the short answer to your question includes, you know, seeing people who've been almost completely non-functional in their lives, almost entire, you know, their lives almost entirely revolving around, you know, when and how much medications they can take, you know, washing the clock, when's my next dose, right. or what types of medical procedures they might be able to get the surgeries or injections or, you know, nerve ablations, you know, they they kind of... Going to one doctor, to the other doctor, you know, and see what's the next thing that they can get that might help and and so much treatment failures. But going from that kind of position in life to, to having, you know, very low levels of pain and quite often completely resolved pain without the need of any of those medications or other procedures or surgeries or devices. Sometimes clients may still need some types of medications and procedures, but much, much less. You know, I've also seen people, you know, with very severe chronic health conditions who have been hospitalized for extended periods of time. You know, one client over, you know, 120 days in a year, um, Mm. even at, you know, times clients being, you know, critically ill, you know, with very serious infections related to ulcerative colitis, going into remission or when having very sporadic flare-ups or their symptoms being quite manageable and their quality of life is much, much improved. So it's all over the place, but even people with, you know, very serious neurodegenerative conditions, things like MS, Parkinson's, or Parkinson's-like disorders, not that we're going to resolve those, but to slow down the progression of the generation of those diseases. No way to ascertain that it's the EMDR or the other interventions that we use that are found in the AIP model, you know, that that's the reason for, you know, prolonged states of health. So when you really look at the neurobiological factors of these conditions, what's going on with those, and and then also what we're targeting neurobiologically through you know the, the interventions you know that are you know the EMDR and other interventions you know that are using the AIP model you know theoretically it makes a lot of sense you know of course we need research uh, lots of research to determine a causal relationship but I think we're moving in the right direction
0: those are great stories those are great examples and I'm sure that the people who have been treated and are in less pain than they have been, and are able to function how they want to function in life, rather than how they're forced to function in life, are very grateful and relieved and happy that they found EMDR therapy and that, that it works and it helps them. It's,
1: yeah, I think it's you know it's it's for me it's it's about the relief of suffering, and that happens on a daily basis. Sometimes it's a little, you know, sometimes it's a lot. You know, sometimes it's a really a progressive thing. But over time, I think peop- most people get better and better.
0: Great. Gary, are there any myths that you would like to bust about EMDR therapy for chronic pain? I'm not sure,
1: Kim, about myths, but I would say more expectations. You know, I provide consultation as an approved consultant and, and through those workshops, you know, and often therapists, I think they're, they're seeking this nice, concise protocol that works well or gets the job done for everyone with chronic pain pain, you know, kind of this one-size-fits-all or fits-all protocol. And the closest thing to this for chronic pain is the EMDR pain protocol developed by Mark Grant, which I do teach, and it's great. It's actually wonderful. And while the pain protocol is invaluable and it has, you know, all sorts of applications, many, many applications, you know, but there's so often this need for an array of interventions beyond the pain protocol. If we're going to truly be effective and get optimal results. And so this includes the use of the, the EMDR standard therapy protocol, you know, because there's so much trauma involved as well, but also other strategies and techniques found in the AIP model. But it also involves bringing theory and information, and techniques and interventions from many other areas, you know, from neuroscience, attachment theory, somatic psychotherapy, polyvagal theory, and others. So we, we bring in, you know, more integrated perspective. And it also requires, you know, a bit of learning about the neurobiology of pain in order to know why and when to use all these different interventions. Treatment of chronic pain, you know, is most often not this short-term treatment. It's kind of like treating complex PTSD. You know, there's a lot of work involved and a lot of repetition involved. In fact, I think therapists will often realize their clients with chronic pain will often have co-occurring complex PTSD, and there's no coincidence about that. Again, so many people, you know, with chronic pain, you know, have experienced tons of trauma. We we find, you know, sometimes when we work with people, they'll have, you know, significant reduction in symptoms, you know, with one session. But then the, the, the symptoms return or we'll have multiple sessions and, and, and still there's not much significant relief. As I tell, you know, you know, both clients and therapists, there's a reason for everything. it's just a matter of understanding and figuring out what's going on and and what to do about it. And it takes time. It takes curiosity and patience and and even perseverance. Again, with, with all of these things, you know, people eventually get better.
0: That's good. We'd like to hear that. Are there any specific complexities or difficulties with using EMDR therapy for chronic pain?
1: I wouldn't necessarily say difficulties, but complexities would be what I would say. You know, I think chronic pain and the brain and the nervous system and the body, you know, as an integrated system, these are all complicated. And in short, you know, we're integrated beings, you know, we always talk about, you know, this mind body connection, but when we consider this, you know, to consider that mind body connection, you know, we need to realize that, you know, the mind was never disconnected from the body to begin with, you know, that it's an extension of the body, you know, it's a full body experience. And as EMDR therapists, what we're really doing is in integrating experiences so the body can heal. And that includes the mind. And they heal together. And with chronic pain, it's no different. You know, the therapist has to take you know, what we know about trauma and all the other mental health disorders that may be coexisting and begin to develop this you know, clinical understanding of the neurobiological and, and other systemic consequences that occur over time related to these conditions. As well as we need to develop an understanding of the, you know, what happens when we have the chronic pain, the consequences, you know, of these or the chronic health conditions and see how these are intersecting with the mental health issues and the consequences. So the good news, though, is EMDR therapists, where we're trained to have this dual awareness, you know, and this dual awareness, you know, that type of thinking is in our wheelhouse. We consider all of this and recognize, you know, all these feedback loops that are occurring and, and how they perpetuate the problems, that, you know, that, that are occurring and how they lead to the breakdown of the body, you know, over time. But as EMDR, we remember that the nervous system and the body, again, is innately, you know, inclined to heal and move back to healthy states. And, 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 and that is, you know, what EMDR and, and the AIP model helps, you know, the body to do. And we do this as we integrate those other theory and science in this process. So things work well in the end.
0: Thank you. Gary, how do you practice cultural humility as an EMDR therapist? Now,
1: that's such an important question. I think three words come to mind. That would be curiosity, openness, and awareness. You know, not necessarily in that order. I think these are both, you know, intentions and traits, you know, I constantly try to achieve. It's a very dynamic process, you know, I think for me individually, as well as, you know, what I try to demonstrate in sessions with clients. I mean, first of all, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a heterosexual, cisgender, middle-aged white male who is doing okay financially. You know, it's hard to have more privilege than that. Okay. So it's important for me to have awareness of my privilege and and what that means, at least to the best of my ability. But I also need to be aware of the fact, you know, that with this privilege is going to come blind spots that are inherent from having it. And that's my lived experience. And there's no denying this. And that's, I think, where the curiosity and openness comes in. You know, I have to be curious about each and every client's, their unique lived experience and ask them to share it with me. And then I have to reflect it back to them to see if I got it right and be open to when I got it wrong. I also have to be open to how their lived experience manifests in context of me and my privilege. You know, both when it's about me and something I messed up on, you know, whether it's a bias, you know, or an area of ignorance that I have, a a microaggression that somehow snuck out again, blind spots. And when these occur, you know, I need to take responsibility and make a repair and keep repairing, you know, until it's repaired. That's an effort and action. I think that's required not only to maintain the therapeutic rapport, but for healing. I don't think that's it. And that's not all. I also need to be open to when it isn't specific to me individually, but nonetheless, you know, still requires that empathy, compassion, and a repair. You know, clients—they may perceive it as specific to me, and even if I don't, maybe they're right, maybe not. That doesn't matter at all. It, it could be a blind spot, it, maybe it's not. It may be a matter of just what I represent, but but I still need to be accountable and take responsibility for that repair. Again, keep repairing it until it's repaired and safe. Not perceive myself as the victim, because right? at the end of the day, you know, clients are in my care, and I owe it to them. the best caregiver I can. That's my role. You know, that's my job. I'm the caregiver and clients are the care receivers.
0: Right. That's a good answer. Thank you. Do you have a favorite free EMDR related resource that you would suggest either for the public or other EMDR therapists?
1: You know, there's so many wonderful resources out there, but I'm going to keep it specific to our topic here. I'm going to shamelessly plug myself here. I'm sorry about that. Um, You know, the EMDR pain protocol. And a number of, you know, different techniques that I I use and teach, they use auditory bilateral stimulation, you know, versus the eye movements or tactile BLS. And in the past, you know, I could never find a form of audio BLS that I really like. And so as a lifelong drummer, about four years ago, I went into a recording studio. I have a buddy here in Austin. He has his own studio and runs it. And I asked him to help me with this. And I figured out a resonance that I think works pretty well. And I created my own auditory BLS. And it actually vibrates the eardrum, so you get a, a bit of a, a tactile response in, in addition to the audio uh, bilateral stimulation. And I've been offering uh, these recordings free on my website and, and on YouTube ever since. And I've had so many therapists and clients and even inquiries from the public, and you know, they ask for a downloadable version of these. So last year, I, I started offering for a small cost, but I have the free versions, and they're available on my website and on YouTube. Keep them there you know, forever and ever. You know, one of them is a BLS recording for EMDR therapists to use with their clients for EMDR treatment. There's another one for clients and public to use on their own that releases what's called gamma aminobutyric acid, commonly referred to as GABA. You know, this is our most abundant inhibitory neurotransmitter. You know, the body produces this for a lot of things, but it's really helpful for pain relief and to calm the nervous system. You know, so it it assists to soothe anxiety and activation from trauma and PTSD, you know, along with the pain relief response that it provides. There's also a third recording that reinforces nerves when they are calm and at rest. So it reinforces decreased pain states and a calm nervous system. And it's really helpful, you know, if you think about neuroplasticity and the uh, tuning aspect of neuroplasticity. You know, So, you know, to make those, you know, calm and pain-free connections more bushy when you think of how neurons connect to each other through dendrites and their dendritic connection.
0: That's great. I will include a link in the description of the podcast so people can go to your website and find that information. Thank sure. you. What would you like people outside of the EMDR community to know about EMDR and chronic pain? Simply
1: stated, I, I think for most people, living with chronic pain isn't a requirement. And not for everybody, but for most people. You know, it can be effectively treated, but it's an active process. You know, clients can't be passive recipients of care. Being passive doesn't work. It involves effort and action, you know, to be able to change and heal and to get better. It involves clients to look at and address areas of one's life beyond what one typically is focusing on with their medical providers. They have to to be involved and they have to, to really work at it. I really look at myself as kind of more a guide and a coach, you know, in addition to, you know, just being the, the therapist here. I want to, again, emphasize that pain is not a psychological manifestation. but pain is, you know, what I call a psychophysiological experience. Again, it's complicated. It's just the way the body works. You know, it's true that the mind, you know, comes from the brain and the nervous system, but the nervous, you know, the nervous system extends throughout the entire body. And our nervous system is constantly interacting with all our other body systems. And it creating, you know, creates so many different networks, pathways, and feedback loops. You know, like I said earlier, the mind is this full body experience. And, you know, I'm not at all suggesting that pain is all in the mind, but I am suggesting, you know, there's not this mind-body separation. The mind is part of the body. The brain is part of the body. Pain involves the brain and nervous system greatly, but it also involves other systems in the body, and it involves tissues, of course, but it further involves chemicals, all sorts of chemicals throughout the body, and as I said earlier, pain involves what's going on in the present, but it also involves the past and how the body has come to be in the present because of the past. You know, it's way too complicated for us to cover, you know, everything here, but but it's just how things work, and this is what we treat with EMDR for chronic pain. And not acknowledging in understanding or treating pain in this context is very often why people, you know, don't get better. And I'm not suggesting at all that that working with medical providers is unhelpful or unnecessary, but there's this need for an integrated approach for care that considers all of this. And this is lacking in most contemporary uh, chronic pain treatment approaches at this time.
0: Agreed. If you weren't an EMDR therapist, what would you be, Gary?
1: That's a funny question for me because, you know, (laughs) I always tell people if I wasn't a therapist, my dream job would be working at a barista as a barista somewhere, maybe Starbucks. (laughs) Uh, And I say that because I love my morning coffee. I love people and giving people coffee makes them happy. So what better job than that? But You know, all kidding aside, you know, I really can't see myself doing anything different. This is such a a large part of who I am. I've been a therapist about 30 years now. I know I'm dating myself, but that's kind of a long time. And I've been around the block maybe a few times. But if I really had to choose something different, I think there's this whole new field about to open up, and there's some really cool research and exploration in the field of environmental neuroscience and neuroconservation. As we're facing all the challenges ahead of us with the climate crisis, and as we're learning more and more about the intricacies of how we're, we're not only neurobiologically interconnected as a species, but with all living organisms, and even as the Earth at large, There's such an immediate need to pioneer this full speed. And I have a lot of interest in this area. I read a bit about it. And I think I could find a lot of satisfaction working in that field. You know, and who knows? I I think I could even, you know, fit it in with much of what I'm doing now somehow.
0: There is no wrong answer to that question. So I always like to hear what our guests have to tell us about what they would do if they weren't in a therapist situation. So that's a great answer. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: I think there is, Kim. At this point in my career, I believe, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of how EMDR works, you know, meaning the different mechanisms of action and processes, you know, that are occurring and co occurring. And it makes a lot of sense to me. But I can also see EMDR evolving, you know, as we continue to learn more and more about the brain and body. And I think it's an exciting time for this. And I believe for EMDR. But I think we need to be very careful and thoughtful and not reckless. And research is paramount. We can't allow ourselves to be divided into camps or tribes. That's never a good thing. And I think our highest nature is that of, you know, as cooperative caregivers of one another versus competitors. We must let science without agenda guide us.
0: Great way to end the podcast. Thank you, Gary.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having
0: me. This has been the Let's Talk EMDR podcast with our guest, Gary Brothers. Visit www.emdria.org for more information about EMDR therapy or to use our Find an EMDR therapist directory with more than 15,000 therapists available. Like what you hear? Make sure you subscribe to this free podcast wherever you listen. Thanks for being here today.